Hi there, Dave Levine here. Thanks once again for joining me on the Sports Stories podcast. Today is episode number 14 and we return to the series of shows with Paul Smith, former Warwickshire professional cricketer and England Sixers world record holder. During episodes three and six, we heard about Paul's introduction to the sport, his early career and some of the highs and lows he has experienced. On today's show, I'm really looking forward to exploring his views on one of his passions, which is fast bowling. And I'm also sure he'll share his personal view on the current fast bowlers in the England setup. So let's not waste any time and continue the conversation at Edgbaston with my special guest, former professional cricketer, now author and commentator, Paul Smith. So I'm sat here at Edgbaston looking out over the ground and positioned right behind us on the, on the board is a, a couple of great pictures of you fast bowling, um, Paul. So I'd like to really dig into the idea of, of fast bowlers, what's going on currently in the game, what do you think's thread through from the past, even what might be some of the key challenges you think that the game or the role of a fast bowler faces going forward. So what's your current view? I think if you've got people who can bowl quick, they're really rare. Um, right. For a period of time in my career, they said I was the quickest white bowler in the world. Um, and I actually think I bowled quicker than that after they said that someone else had overtaken me. Right. Um, <laughs> but if you've got someone who can bowl genuinely quick, uh, you have to look after them. Right. Um, if you look at England in particular, you've got Jofra Archer, who's obviously... There's been talk about him being uh, horribly overbold in his short test career, and I kind of get that. Um, but if someone is exceptional or can bring something to the table that others can't, then there's always the, the thought that you will give them the ball when you need a breakthrough. Right. Uh, however, in someone like him, where all his cricket is, uh, pretty much all his cricket has been one day cricket, and yeah. then all of a sudden you're asking him to play a game which lasts for five days. It's yeah. like asking a long distance runner to become a sprinter, uh, which as you know is virtually impossible. Uh, Mark Wood, age of 30, World Cup winner, bowls the speed of light, but misses a lot of games. Um, mm. Who else have we got? Ollie Stone, who plays here. Every time I've seen Ollie bowl, he looks as if he's going to get wickets, but he has a poor record of breaking down. Um, there's always food for thought in the sense that people think that modern players spend too much time in gyms and not enough time actually practicing their skills. Right. Uh, personally, I think they should play more. Okay. If you play yeah. more, you begin to understand your body more. It's all very well saying you can bowl the speed of light, so you are not you can put your feet up for seven days, do a little bit of light training here and there, and all of a sudden on the seventh day, we're expecting you to run up and bowl 90 odd miles an hour. Um, your body better be right. And your body, you know, your body has a memory and you have a memory of your body. So you know what you can put it through. You know how you react to it. You know the pain. Some people have got a bigger heart than others. But if you bowl quick and you and you have a long enough career, you've obviously got a big heart because it's hard work. Um, how you look after quick bowlers, I think everyone's pretty much looking for the perfect recipe for that. Right. Um, What's your view? What would be your view of how we could look after this? Um, I don't know how they look, try and look after them. I don't know how they communicate with them. Um, all my experience was gained on uh, at the coalface. And I was lucky the fact that my first captain here, Bob Willis, was a quick bowler. Okay. And he said to me, um, your job is to bowl less balls to get wickets, uh, which was music to my ears because <laughs> that's how I thought I should bowl. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, we obviously also had Gladstone Spall who could bowl quick and then we had Alan Donalds who could bowl very quick. Um, and we worked out a pattern, we worked out how, you know, if we're going to play this amount of games, we have to know when to up the gears and when to go through the gears, how to identify key opponents and how to ruffle them up. Um, I don't know who communicates with the English quick bowlers. Um, some of them have got their education in classrooms. Uh, some people who talk to them have probably had experience at the cold face. So you just hope that these guys get the right advice because the what is the right advice might be clear in from one angle but in a, in effect it's the complete opposite to what this kid needs you know and what you say to Joffrey Archer you might not say to Mark Wood because they're different characters they've got different styles they've got different histories right um so you have to learn how to treat people differently um but the key to it is they've got to know their own bodies you know and, and sadly, this, the facts of the matter are we are born with the body that we've got and some bodies are weaker than others. Some people have got weak backs. How did you get to know your body? What, what was the kind of experiences you went through? And, and... I am, um, well, you only know the body that you've got. And, and as a kid, we played loads of games of cricket, sometimes two a day. Okay. So in a, in, in a season, as a 13, 14-year-old kid, I might play 80 games of cricket, oh. which is a huge amount. And now, if you were to play that now, um, I'm not saying there would be hell on, but it would certainly yeah. be people are monitored from young. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, And I wasn't even from a first-class county. I was from Northumberland. Um, uh, I knew I could bowl quick. Uh, I could bowl quick. Through my age levels, yeah. Um, sometimes I would surprise men when I was playing men's cricket. When I became a professional cricketer, these guys had played against the quickest in the world, many of them. So unless you are amongst the quickest in the world at the age of 16, you're not going to be as quick as whatever. Yeah. Warwickshire sent me to Johannesburg, 6,000 feet above sea level with very thin air. And if you ran up and bowled, um, you could hit the wicket keeper's gloves really hard and it got good carry. And if right. you stood and batted and hit the ball distance, the ball would travel right. further because it was lighter air. Um, there were several times in South Africa where I know uh, I didn't surprise myself. I, I just proved to me that there was more in the tank than had come to the surface so far. Well, yeah. I bowled some seriously quick spells and came back to England where you play on slower decks. Uh, so you got to bowl quick through the air, uh, and I could do that. And Willis took me aside, uh, and we spent a lot of time together, um, both on this ground, in the nets, socially, travelling the same car together. Picked his brains the whole time. Willis okay. had knocked our front door in Newcastle when I was nine years of age, and I answered the front door, um, and he sat in the front room. He's, he'd come to pick my brother up, who was the opening batsman here at the time. Right. And he was at home in Newcastle and Willis had an affiliation with the North. So we drove, knocked our front door and I sat in the front room with him for 10 minutes whilst my brother got ready. And I remember right at the end when the two of them walked out the front door, I remember thinking, I want to play on the same side as him. That was Willis. And by hook or by crook, I did. And he was my <laughs> first captain here. Uh, and he was an absolute gem because he knew 
what would we were similar characters we both loved music we both had the same sort of aspirations um but he identified something that was quite rare in me and the fact that i was good enough to open the batting and i could also bowl very quickly um so i was going to need looking after in a very different way to someone who's just the batter or just the bowler yeah um because you're doing two jobs and you're still young you're still a kid and your body's still growing so how you look after him who knows? As I said earlier, my, I was putting plaster from just below my hips to just below my arms because I could bowl quick, but I was trying to bowl quick every day yeah. whilst my body was still growing. Yeah. So your Joffre Archers, your Mark Woods, you, you know, these guys, um, they're not of an age where their bodies are still growing, but they're being the demands that they're putting on their body and the physical and mental pressure, expectations, just because you're good doesn't mean you get the result. And yeah. as we all know, those guys, for every high they've had, they've had their disappointments. Yeah. What about the, the mental side of being a fast bowler? You just touched on it there, and you know you, you mentioned about the physical aspects, but... You've got to be tough, because it's hard work. Um, mm. And if you, are, if you are a quick bowler, or if you're part of a side that has one or two quick bowlers, we had three here. Um, every time you play away from home, you, the wickets you play on are unresponsive because it's not in their best interest to prepare wickets that will suit you. Um, so you then have to learn how to bowl on flat wickets and not just come to the table when conditions suit you. So that's where you learn about the grind of English first class cricket or if you talk about test match cricket, almost like a five, um, a five test match series, five days times five test matches. Um, conditions will actually rarely be in your favour. It might be twice in a test match series where you really have to go to town and you can knock the stuffing out of a side early in a series mm. uh, and they fear what you're not going to be able to produce because the surfaces are different. Right. But you've done the damage already. So you have to know how to be dominant and you also okay. have to know that potentially you can kill someone. I mean, if you look at Philip Hughes, yeah. um, you know, if you talk about deaths on a cricket field, my grandfather died on a cricket field. Oh, wow. At the age of 39, the only man who's ever died on the, uh, it's the Grange, is it in Edinburgh? Yeah, home it of, is, yeah, yeah. Home of Scottish cricket. My, yeah. my grandfather died on a field. Really? Um, yeah. Whilst batting. Um, so Philip oh, Hughes wow. died because he, he had a blow to the neck. Now, if you're the bowler who's delivered that, Christ, you're going to need a lot of support, support because you yeah, do everything yeah. from question whether you ever want to play again. Um, what do you say to the family of the person who oh. you've just killed? Uh, huge amount of media. There's a huge amount of intrusion. It's a big news story. But whenever the time is right, you, you're going to have to run up and start bowling again. And you still can, you can't be running up and bowling short and quick at a guy's head. In case it happens again. You, know, you, have a, you fall off a horse, you get back on it. Yeah. as quick as you can yeah. um, just because you crash a Formula 1 car doesn't mean you walk away from it and never get back in one that's what you're paid to do how you look after people the psychology of it um, as a fast bowler though do you, do you bowl to hurt somebody? sometimes yeah yeah. right you don't want to you don't want to see listen we're all in it together yeah. um, things get said in the middle uh, that if you said it in a in an office environment, it would be instant dismissal. Yeah. Uh, I think now because of uh, stump microphones, yeah. um, and it's a more politically correct world, uh, it's more difficult to say things now. Sometimes you see we would talk about a, 
if we were in the field and a batsman came to the crease, we would talk about that batsman without even looking at him. Right. But he's very much aware about the fact that he's got 11 blokes talking oh, about him. him. Yeah, yeah. So that is psychology in itself. Um, uh, if you run up and you hurt someone really badly, I mean, I got Courtney Walsh hit me in the hit me in the nose with a short ball, and the surgeon who did the operation on me said your face has taken the impact of a, as if your face had hit a car windscreen at 130 miles an hour, and I didn't have a nose; I just had a huge hole, and I was very lucky because if it, you talk yeah, you're talking a matter of quarter of an inch, and it's hit me straight in the eye, and my career's all over. Yeah. Um, However, you've still got to get back on the horse and get out there and, and face the next quick bowler. And everyone knows you've been hit badly because it's all over the press. So, And they play with the psychology of that. Then, obviously so. Yeah. You know, the, the, that's, unfortunately, that's professional sport. You know, the constant, your, your metal is constantly challenged uh, in an environment where through fatigue, you're not always at your best. Yeah. You can quite often be tired. You may be a bit sluggish. Um, but you know, the day after Courtney Walsh hit me on in on the head in the yeah. place, I bet you we bowl short balls at someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what we do. You know, that's part of your armory. Um to get people out, I guess. Your job is to, to intimidate yeah. people um and, and to get them out and to make them feel uncomfortable. Um listen, I got hit, I've seen people hit. You don't want to see people hit. Uh, but if it affect if if someone gets hit and it affects the morale of the opponents, uh, and it's to our advantage, then that is unfortunate that that is just the way that it is. But, you know, people do die on the field. It's a hard ball, uh, and it's a hard gig being a quick bowler, but you must still run up and try and intimidate people because otherwise then you might as well give the game away. So you've mentioned earlier on about the two incredible fast bowlers that you had the pleasure of working with here. What did you learn from those two guys and what do you think they learned from you? I think we learned from each other in the sense that, um, well, we all admired the fact that we were rare in the sense that we could all bowl very quick. Um, and that's rare. Uh, we'd all give each other a kick up the backside. We stimulate each other in, many, in lots of different ways. If you've got someone like Alan Donald, South African quick bowler, who's bowling the speed of light, um, you love it because it's great and he's one of he's, he's in your team it's and your he's team. one of you <laughs> and you see opponents ducking and diving and whatever. And we would just rotate them. So, you know, if Alan finished, then maybe Glad would come on or I would come on or we, we would work it one way. So um, what did we learn from each other? I think we learned that it wasn't an easy gig. Uh, we admired each other's skills. Uh, we admired every time Gladson got a wicket. It told me that's another one I don't have to get. And exactly the same. Uh, okay. with, the same with Alan. Um, if your job, if you got the ball in your hand, your job is to get wickets. So if you come on and get three wickets very quickly, I can guarantee that everyone your teammates is relieved because that's three more out the way. And if if you are a quick bowler and you're Alan Donald. Or, or Gladstone Small and Paul Smith has just got three wickets, that means that your workload in the rest of this innings, in theory, should be less because you don't have to bowl as many overs and it's hard work. And over a season, you have to bowl millions of overs. We learned lots, of that, apart from the technicalities yeah. about how to hold the ball, how to make the ball reverse swing, how this, how that question. What do you reckon to this? Alan would come back and say, I spoke to so-and-so in 
could be somewhere in South Africa, Australia, wherever they, South Africa had been, and had this discussion. So all this knowledge that he's gained from someone in Australia, he then brings back in our changing room. Oh, okay. And yeah. vice versa. Yeah. You know, we speak to, I'd speak to opponents or, or whatever. I think we... Sounds like you were like students, really we students are, we, of we, the were, craft. we were big students. We loved, um, I mean, Gladstone calls me uh, a cricketing anorak <laughs> um, because of my knowledge of cricket and, mm. and knowledge of opponents and knowledge of people who played in the past and an ability to go up to people who played before me and talk to them about their own careers. And people were surprised because A, I didn't look as if I was a cricketing scholar and B, yeah, I just didn't look like it, and B, often I, I, I often didn't behave as if I was a cricketing anorak. But if you wanted to know something, invariably they would come to me and ask the question. Right. So I think we, we all bring lots of things to the table. You just have to find out the best bits. Did you compete with each against each other, or did you feel like you you worked with each other? I think we worked with each other. I mean, I was no threat to Gladstone Small because I was an all rounder who could bowl quick. Yeah. Um, uh, and Alan, I think that everyone knew their role. The, right, what yeah. would have been where it would have worked against each other is if we didn't know. A, we knew each other as people. Uh, we admired each other's skills. So if you admire people's skills, yeah. you want to be around those people and play in the same side so they don't become competition. Become, mm. um, not when you're that good. I think if you're a young lad and there's two of you, and you both bat and bowl a little bit, and there's one job up for grabs, there is that competition, and Warwickshire had that um, with Dougie Brown and Graham Welsh, yeah. where you had two guys who could bat and bowl, and they were very similar. They bowled at a similar pace, they batted in a similar style, um, but rarely did the two actually play together. Uh, yeah. Whereas the team that I played in that was most successful, we had loads of all-rounders, but that was maybe because Woolly um, as our coach was a big fan of that. If you have guys, if you've got 11 guys and there's only two guys who are out and out bowlers and everyone else is some, is people who bat and bowl and a wicketkeeper who can bat as well, then when you're seven down, you still got a chance of winning because your number nine can bat. Mm. He's got first class hundreds. Yeah. So, you know, the days of... Um, the days of guys who batted, uh, who could who bowled, but were you know absolutely, absolutely gift wickets when they came to the crease. Because Philip Tufnell, as much yeah. as I love Philip Tufnell, he wasn't the bravest when he batted. So yeah. you knew that when Tuffers came to the crease, he would one of the quick bowlers would come on because we knew he didn't fancy it. Yeah. So, but he was an ex Philip Tufnell was an exceptional slow, slow left arm spinner. So you could accept the man's frailty yeah. with the bat yeah. or the fact he wasn't a great fielder because he could win a game with you for the ball. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's horses for courses, but to answer your question, no, I never felt as if I was in competition with Glad or Alan Donald. Yeah. And then bringing it up to date in terms of the, the current bowlers uh, that you mentioned at the beginning, Joffrey Archer, etc. What advice would you give to them now, given your experience? What question might you pose to them? Well, first of all, I'd ask them if, if they were happy with how they were being treated because their skill levels are there for all to see. Um, if you played two test matches like Wood did in South Africa mm -hmm. and just completely changed the, the game every time he had the ball in his hand, yeah. if you 
see, I wouldn't play him in 2020 cricket. Why would you play a guy with a frail body in a, in a, in, in a, the most athletic, high-intensity form of the game? Why would you do that? Especially when he has a fantastic... I know he's a World Cup winner. World Cups are slightly different. They're not 2020 competitions. Um, uh, are you happy with the way that you're being treated? Is there anything you want to talk to us about? Because we tell you a lot of things. We tell you what time you've got to be at the ground, what time the coach leaves the, the hotel, what you got to eat, who's going to be training, what kit you got to wear. We tell you all these things. And it's a bit like being in the army. Everyone tells you what to do. As soon as you come out of the army, you, you haven't got a boss, you haven't got a, a schedule to stick to. And, and sometimes it makes people fall apart because they've lost what, everything they knew. Mm. So if you ask people what their, what their concerns are, is there anything we can, is there anything I can do that, that will help you? Right. More so, people think that you get loads done for you, but is there one ingredient that you would long someone to ask you? Yeah. And what is that? What yeah. is that thing? Yeah. Is the one thing you think that will help you, that will help us? Because yeah. we know if we can, if you're happier, we think you're get, we're going to benefit even yeah. more from yeah. your skills. We'll get more from you. Correct. Uh, for longer. Yeah. For longer. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at Mark Wood, age 30, played 30 first class games, something like that. It might be a handful either way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's hardly played. As I said earlier, you know, I was, by the time I was 19, I played more games than that. Yeah. Uh, and my skills were not dissimilar. I could bowl as quick as Mark Wood. Ask people who played against me when I got it right. Um, different times we had, we just had a workload, and that was a schedule of fixtures uh, that was sorted out over the winter. And you get a you get a, a sheet with the name of every hotel that you were going to be staying in. You know, the, the, <laughs> your co-driver told you what ro roads you were going to have to drive, whether it be a five-hour journey from. Southampton to Headingley, or heaven forbid, if you when Durham became Played first Durham, class yeah. county, you know, I remember going one of all these things come into account. So if you manage the workload, um, they've got to be happy within themselves. They've got to know that you're the boss, if you are the coach or the whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But in many ways, they're far more important than the than the boss because they're the guys who've got to go out and do it. Yeah. But there is a better system waiting to be found. It's whether the people who are in position to create that system to help these people, whether they are the right people in the first place. And often I don't think they are. So go on, you've whetted me appetite though. A better system, what would that How look? can you look after these guys better? Yeah. That's the better system it's that's the... waiting to be found. Yeah. Um, I don't care what, what you do, you'll find a, a system that was better than the last one, but it still doesn't mean it's perfect. So if you're ambitious and you care, you're constantly looking for that best thing. And people who work within cricket would say, well, that's what we do, Paul. But you know what? I would judge it on, okay, I get that. But then give them examples of things where there are clear, maybe errors, but things have been done very well. So unless you can actually come back at me and tell me, well, this is what we did and over a period of time. And, I, and you look at that and say, well, you know, you couldn't have done any more. I take my point back. But I think that there's, too many questions that you can ask mm. that will show that there is an element of frailty within a system that is supposed to look after elite athletes. Um, and we're only human, you know, if you think about it, Glenn McGrath, Australian fast bowler, um, would prepare brilliantly for every game, crucial test match of a crucial test match series, 
not that long back in the history of the game. Yeah. Stands on a cricket ball here, goes over on his ankle, yeah. misses the test match. England win the test match, I think. Yeah. Uh, and it completely changes the, the, the complex of the, mm. of the of a test match series. Daft mistake, ball in the wrong place. Six foot eight man, gangly looking, doesn't look around, stands on the ball, goes on the ankle and everything changes. So everything has to be perfect, but what is perfect? Yeah. Where there's so much room for human error, where so many decisions are made on the at the drop of a hat. You mm. can sit and plan a strategy that will take us through between now and the next World Cup, etc. Who you're going to think is going to play in this series, that series, what conditions in which part of the world are going to suit, who are you going to bring in because we've got a World Cup coming in two years or whatever the situation mm. is. How can you bring all the jigsaw together? There's a better system than is what in place, but it's better than the last one. But that doesn't mean to say that in next week, Someone, some bright spark doesn't come up with an idea where everyone's ears prick up. So if we can't come up with what that absolutely is, for those people listening in influential places, what might be a good step to try and help us work towards what that better system looks like? I think, I think in cricket, and people get this wrong, you have people who are coaches, you have people who are managers, you have people who are physios, people who do this, people who do that. And there's that many of them. Mm -hmm. I think if that many people are constantly around in that bubble environment, and of course, the whole thing, everyone within it wants England to do well, yeah, sure. or Australia to do well, or whatever the setup is. I think there's so much knowledge outside of that bubble. Okay, yeah. Like, for example, James Anderson, uh, Stuart Broad, and maybe a another bowler went and sat and drank wine and had a bite to eat with Bob Willis. Now, because Willis was the character that he was when he worked for Sky TV, his job was to get stuck into people when it didn't go right. Yeah. Big bad Bob, that was his job. That's what he got paid to do. He didn't have a problem with it, yeah. but the Bob Willis I knew and everyone else knew, you knew him well. Yeah. Uh, that was a, that you know of course he was capable of that but that's not the man right, bloody yeah. hell you'd spend half your time laughing and yeah. in great company when you were with him but someone somewhere suggested that Anderson Broad and a another go and sit in a relaxed environment take a cricket ball sit round the table have a bite to eat drink a few glasses of wine and they were gobsmacked about what they learned about a him as a man and b how he could help them right. But he's not a coach. He doesn't spend any time in the changing rooms. Yeah, 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 so I'm yeah. not saying it has yeah. to be Bob Willis. I yeah. think it's who can challenge people and make them think slightly differently or enhance their great skills anyway. Yeah. How can you, it's a bit like Broad and Anderson, you'd say they're pretty much coming to the end of their careers. They may have 12 months. Who knows? Who could inspire them so that they go out with unbelievable performances rather than fade out having had great careers um who can who are those people who can inspire them and have um, the right conversations well you and, do and have the right challenge Listen, to them, if we're so, all in yeah. this together and you guys are the players i always thought that when i was a player you knew despite the fact that you were in the company of people who weren't players who these people didn't come in the changing rooms. They were lovers of Warwickshire County Cricket Club and the game, and they understood the part of what you played 
and what was unfolding and they loved it because it had never yeah. happened to yeah. them it had, they'd never witnessed this before in yeah. you know from coming here from kids yeah um you knew that those people were on your side yeah and some of them were very serious businessmen and some of the little things that they would say you'd remember it because it was business mentality that you could apply nice. in sport okay yeah um so I'm not saying bring businessmen in to talk to sportsmen, although I think that sportsmen can obviously learn from businessmen mm -hmm. and vice versa. And vice versa, yeah. Correct. Absolutely. Huge market for it. Yeah. Um, but there's something about challenging thought and mindsets and, and bringing some difference. What in can you bring to creativity? The table? Yeah. It's obvious as a you know what these people can bring to the table because you've seen them do it on their average days, you've seen them do it on their exceptional days, you've seen the disappointment of them breaking down injured, all these sorts of things. But how can you, outside of the bubble of, if the coach keeps saying the same thing, the, the, the actual message gets diluted. I'm convinced of that. Yeah. Will, um, Wilmer was probably as good as any person's ever been because he would say the same thing but never say it twice the same way in different ways yeah yeah <laughs> um so you know he was he was creme de la creme really but having spent so much time with him both here and overseas you don't forget that and i don't see many coaches talk like him despite the fact that it's 2007 since he passed away <laughs> um i've never seen better I hear people who are exceptional, I know that, and, 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 and maybe they are better than Bob, I don't know. Um, but they'd have to be pretty damn good because a lot of what I see now, I, I've heard coaches talk now where I'm thinking, you know what, I could have told you this 20 years ago. Mm. Um, and it's not that I'm pulling my own wire, it's more a case of, well, you know, there is, there is obvious forward movement in certain parts of the game, but the psychology side of the game um, and who actually says it is absolutely vital. You raised for me about the, the fact that Bob Warmer, for you, seemed to have been an exceptional people developer. Yeah. You know, both in cricket, but actually... He was interested in you as a person. person yeah. He, he acknowledged your skills. Uh, he obviously looked with a critical eye without criticizing you, if you yeah. look at it, how can I improve this yeah. person? Yeah. This person, and how can I improve him as a player? Because he batted and bowled himself, there was a natural affiliation with me, because I batted and bowled, bowled in yeah. a very different style to him, but I was good enough to open the batting, as he was. But I could bowl quick, whereas he bowled medium pace. But the thought patterns are pretty similar. Yeah. Um, someone like Bobby, he didn't think the same as everyone else. He he could say one sentence which would have a massive impact in you, whereas other people would maybe want you to come in and do three hours in the nets, then have a team meeting, have a bite of lunch, see you tomorrow, lads. Meanwhile, it's taken up six hours of the day, whereas with Bob, it could be one sentence. Yeah. And 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 the, the thing with him, if if I distance myself from the practicalities of it, when in South Africa we would have where Bob lived in Cape Town and I spent a lot of time there. Twice a week, certainly once a week, the best players in South Africa or certainly in the Western Cape would come and practice with Bob mm -hmm. because they learned so much in those one hour sessions than they did with their professional cricket coach who was in charge of Western Province cricket. Right. So these practice sessions would take 10, 
would take place 10 kilometers away from Newland Stadium, yeah. the other side of the mountain, out of sight, anonymously, because the coach of Western Province would, that would be hell on if he knew his best players were going to Bob Woolmer to be coached out of bat. So Paul, what, bringing it back to our current crop of bowlers, okay, I'm thinking here, it's about getting the right people around them at the right time with the right skill sets hmm. to develop them and care for them as, as people and as cricketers. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm just trying to, you know, I'm beginning to play with the idea of how do we take it on the next step to make better, even better bowlers is, is looking at them even more holistically, finding out exactly what they need as individuals, and, and sometimes not being constrained by one coach or two coaches, but actually thinking, actually, what are their needs? And actually... But you see, the people who run the game will probably say, that well, we do that anyway. Okay. Right. I think. Um, I think you look at what you've got, which they'll say, we do that. I would say, think outside the box. There's many people who could help these kids in lots of different environments who aren't involved in your bubble. Okay, so looking outside of the bubble. A new, the, voice, uh, a new voice, a new face may, may bring things to the table that have been simmering underneath. Sure. And maybe the yeah. three guys we've spoken about, those three quick bowlers, maybe they're dying for that. Yeah. Do you, you know, is there anything else we can do for you to help? Is there anyone you would like us to pick up a phone up and say, can we, can we take you out for a meal and we'll bring Joffre? Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, or whatever it would be yeah there's loads of people out there who would help and could do really good work but people make the mistake of thinking well if they don't have a coaching badge then they're of no use when in fact i couldn't care i couldn't give a monkeys about coaching badges you get those in in a very different way than what you you get experience from a cold face yeah um I hear you talking, actually, what's really important is we get the right people who have a, a passion and an interest to try and help someone become better, i.e. coach them. You are a coach without an official title as a cricket coach. We're here as a developer of somebody else. And I'm so I've been a teacher. Engage. Yeah, an educator, no, you, developer. You are people. an educator. Hmm. You, you, you do. You see what's in front of you in, in a classroom yeah. environment and you know. Yeah the ones that you know you may have to spend a bit more time with yeah. you know the ones that won't say a jot yeah. during a 45-minute class uh, you know the ones who'll put their hands up every time and get it wrong 80 percent of the time but their enthusiasm will not have diminished by yeah. the end of 45 minutes and that's yeah. great because yeah. eventually they'll start to get a few more right um so it's flexing the system a little bit there has to here. be huge flexibility, flexibility yeah. you know whilst there, there has to be professionalism within it you have to understand that people are all different their, their needs are all different it's not like you're joining the army and learning your basics where sergeant major shouts in your face until you accept yeah. it you're not asking for that because you would get no respect if you tried that um but it's a matter of the best communicators in front of the most important people will improve results and if you get the best communicate and if that works then those best communicators can work with lots of different people yeah. and they're not coaching them talk to me yeah that's what you're actually doing you get you the what is wrong with talking yeah yeah, yeah. you know yeah. any psychologist would tell yeah, you that yeah, yeah. you know if you don't talk to me how can i help you yeah um it's a psychological game. Once yeah. I know that yeah. you are good and you can yeah. run up and bowl fast and you've got many skills, you can bowl leg cutters at speed. But once we know that, it's a matter of how can we help you? 
Um, do you want to do less work like that? Does that really irritate you? Do you think you're wasting your time? You'd rather be doing that? Have you, is there anything you want to talk to me? I don't care what, I mean, we, I used to have conversations with Bob Wilmer where my answers were the very last thing he wanted to hear, yeah. but I would say it because I think, yeah. you know what? If I don't say it, I'm selling myself short. Yeah. You know, when you say, where were you at three o'clock in the morning, Paul? I would tell him. Hmm. I'm not going to lie to him. I love the guy. Hmm. But he knew yeah. that the key to it is, this is what we got to do tomorrow. And I'd say, okay, don't judge me on what happens tonight. Yeah. Well, Because I could actually, at three o'clock in the morning, be sat talking cricket where he thinks I'm up to something different. Yeah. And if I'm not man enough to say, hang on a minute. Um, well, it's something we picked up earlier on, isn't it? Is, is it? It's become a common thread around communication, having straightforward conversations, having a connecting relationship so we can go on a journey together. It seems all of these are really key principles. And the part I'm particularly pulling out from what you're saying is the fact about the, the importance and the value of, of talking, actually, and, and engaging with people. Because if I understand where you're at and you understand where I'm at, we can, we can go places. Try having a marriage without communication. Yeah. yeah. Try, you know, try having any working yeah. relationship without communication. Yeah. Part of the problem in life is the fact that people don't pick up a phone anymore. Mm. They send emails yeah, yeah. or they send WhatsApp or they yeah. send texts or whatever. Whereas if you actually put people in front of each other, and let's hope we're not creating a, a generation of people who are not great communicators face to face because they never speak to people face to face. They send messages. So if you if you were to turn around and say, can you explain what you mean? What you actually get from young people is is they'll speak for thirty seconds and use the word like about twenty times. So don't say like, just talk to me. Yeah. yeah. And you see, it's because people communicate in a maybe in a more direct way, yeah. because you can say a million things in a, in a in a two sentence text. Yeah. But it doesn't make you a great communicator and it certainly won't help you in a work environment if and when you reach that stage um, and often it's incriminating. Yeah. Well Paul we, we could probably go on about this for a great deal longer and, and I guess why we're here today talking in the way that we are doing is because we see the value of communicating and trying to understand one another, hear different stories and use that as a, a powerful mechanism and vehicle to help people go forward. So. I guess my, my final thing, which I take away, which I would like us all to, to continue working with and considering whether you're a Joffre Archer, performance bowler, or, or a, a new person coming into the sport arena, is the importance of understanding who you are, engaging with other people, having good conversations. And, you know, if nothing else, connect with your coach or people around you, because that communication, that connection seems to be such a, a key, valuable mechanism. You know, and I guess what I pick up very strongly from you is, yes, we are critiquing the environment here, but we're really passionate about trying to help these bowlers or batters or fielders or whoever we're talking about in the sporting context to actually prove what they do for their development, performance and fulfill their potential. So on that note, thanks again. Really appreciate your open and honesty. Uh, I'm sure we'll come back to this at some stage because I pick up the energy um, in our discussion and I think there's, there's lots more to go at. But thank you very much. Really appreciate it. No problem. So there we have it. The third conversation of five with Paul. As previously, he continued to be candid with his answers and straightforward. He clearly is passionate about fast bowling and has a definite view of how things were and can also be improved for the modern day fast bowler. 
What also comes through very strong for me was his affection for the late Bob Willis and Bob Woolmer. They both clearly had an impact on Paul and taught him a lot about being a cricketer and a person. As in previous podcasts, the conversations have made me reflect. Paul talked a lot about being part of a cricket team and a bowling team with the likes of Gladstone Spall and Alan Donald and others. I'd like to pose the following questions to you. What role do you play in teams, either sport, family or work? And how could you change your view or role to be even more effective? I do hope you enjoyed today's podcast and also found the questions posed beneficial in helping you move forward. Drop me a message if you would value talking through how to further develop the teams you are within or you have any comments or feedback on any of the podcasts. I'm always keen to connect and look for ways to improve. You can get hold of me at www.sportstories247.com. Lastly, I would really like to thank you for listening in. The followers and fans of the podcast are continuing to grow and we have some exciting plans in the pipeline for the further development of Sports Stories content. So that just leaves me to wish you a great week, work on those teams and look after yourself. And I look forward to having you with me, Dave Levine, on the Sports Stories podcast next week.